0: And a very warm welcome to Daily Power Parsha. This is our daily look at the Torah portion, the readings for the day. Today, we have a pretty intense Torah reading. Because in today's Torah reading, we begin the section of the Torah portion, the Bukhokotai, known as the Tokacha. Which is translated as, typically translated as rebuke or also known as the klolos, which are the curses, the rebuke, the curses, i.e. the negative repercussions listed by God or detailed by God to Moses to tell us if we do not keep our end of the deal. So the Torah portion opened up, but the positive, if you study Torah, do the mitzvot, oh, the world is your oyster, right? Like, oh, you got everything, all the blessings. What happens... If that's not the case, what happens if we don't uphold our our end of the bargain? Well, then the opposite happens. And whereas there were several verses for the good stuff, there are dozens of verses for the negative stuff. Go figure. All right, but let's do that inside. We don't start with the negative. We will start with the positive, continuing the blessings. But then, as you'll see, we'll segue into the negative. All right, I'm going to share my screen. Let's jump right in. This is Torah, Torah reading for Bechukotai. This is reading number three, Leviticus chapter 26, verse number 10. All of this is in continuation of with the, with, the, with the presupposition that we are doing what we need to do. God will bless us, and here continues the blessings. You will eat very old produce. Although that doesn't sound good necessarily, but you'll see, what he, you'll see what that means. Rashi clarifies. You'll eat very old produce and you will clear out the old from before the new. I'll give you a quick spoiler alert. What that means is, well, no pun intended, quick spoiler alert. That means that the produce, there'll be so much produce that you'll be able to save it and it will stay fresh and you'll have to get rid of the old one because the new one comes in, but you, it's not like you'll run out of food. You'll have an overabundance. An overabundance of, uh, of food. Hold on, let's see who's here. Oh, Olya's here. Okay. But, but again, we'll do that inside in Rashi. The point is, there's going to be a lot of food. Hey, Olya, welcome. Let's continue verse number 11. And I will place my dwelling in your midst. See that? God says, I'm going to hang out with you. Hi, Sarah. Good to see you. And my spirit will not reject you. So there's two elements here. God says, "My dwelling will be in your midst, and my spirit." It's interesting. It's an interesting phrase in, in the in the in the Torah. Nafshi, nafshi means my nefesh, my soul, my spirit. God says, "Will not reject you." Verse 12: "I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people." Just imagine, you know, like a you know a couple like strolling down, I don't know, the boardwalk. Wherever there's a boardwalk, I don't know. We're not near a boardwalk here, but like you at night, hanging out together, strolling. So God says, we're going to hang out together. I'll walk among you and be your God. You will be my people, right? I think back in the day, they called it going steady. Is that what they called it? Going steady, going out, right? Hanging out together. We're going to do that, God says. Verse 13, I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt from being slaves to them. And I broke the pegs of your yoke and led you upright. And that's the culmination of these first 13 verses of the Torah portion that essentially detail the reward for Torah and mitzvot. As we read yesterday, if we toil in Torah and couple our study with action, then we're going to have rain, produce, the trees will blossom health will be there security and peace in the land enemies will run away from us no fear plenty of food again back to the food in this in this reading so much food that you gonna have to get rid of the old food because the new crop comes in no point to have a double crop if so much food it's, it's you can't even use it i will be with you you'll be you'll be mine i'll be yours and god concludes i am the lord who took you out of egypt From slavery, I broke the pegs of your yoke, led you upright to hang out together. All right, let's do Rashi. Let's look at these blessings inside. And by the way, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, right after this, right after verse 13, it turns very dark, very fast. Verse 14 says, if you don't listen to me and you don't do the commandments, dot, 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 and then we have dozens of verses that detail the negative repercussions God forbid. Okay, let's now go back to verse 10. We're still in the in the blessing stage. And look at Rashi. You will eat very old produce. I mentioned that doesn't sound good, but it is a blessing. But what blessing is it to eat old food, Rashi asks? The Torah means, however, that the produce will remain well preserved, growing mellow with age. That's one way to call it, mellow. <laughs> <Grow>. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I actually... I noticed today I have like a, an area in my kitchen where there's fruit and vegetables, or fruit mainly, and I saw an orange there. And you know me and oranges; it's a complicated relationship. Anyway, so I noticed an orange there, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's good to And I picked it up, and it was like it was beyond its uh, its its edible age. One might say that it has, that it had grown mellow. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but here, Rashi. <laughs> In a complimentary, complimentary way, says that the produce will not get spoiled. It'll get mellow. So that very old produce from three years ago will be better to eat than, of, than that of last year. What a blessing. <laughs> what? <laughs> These grapes, three years old. Are you kidding me? They're fantastic. They're better than ever. The new stuff, fat, gross. You want the three-year-old stuff. That's where it gets really good. Anyway, that's from the Talmud. BB 91 b sounds like a very secret code. It stands for Bava Batra. That's a tamara Trate, page 91B. Okay, next. Rabbi, yes.
1: Rabbi, I can give you some insights on Rashi there because he's French, right? Yes. And you know, you know what the French do with their cheese? They never refrigerate it. They leave it outside <sighs> until it stinks and it runs and then it's okay to eat.
0: <laughs> okay, so here's the deal. I personally can't relate. <laughs> but I hear you. You're saying that there is a genre of food that gets better with age. Right. And uh, maybe counterintuitively. All right. So Rashi <laughs> Rashi says, I know what we're talking about. Three years. It's reaching its peak. Three years. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, you will clear out the old from before the new. The threshing floors will be full of new grain, which would decay if left there and therefore must be stored. The storehouses, however... So the new stuff is coming in. It's got to be put in the storehouses. But the storehouses will be filled with the abundant old produce. Therefore, you will have to remove what is in the storehouses, (coughs) the old stuff, and take it elsewhere in your house in order to put the new produce in them. The point is you'll have so much stuff, food, stuff, that you'll have to start moving things around to figure out where it should go. That's the point. That's a blessing. And I will place my dwelling in your midst, Rashi says, this refers to the holy temple. Well, the Mishkan, the Mikdash, right? The temple. But God says, if you go with me, I'm going to go with you. Place my dwelling in your midst. My spirit will not reject you. Rashi explains, my spirit will not be disgusted with you. Every expression of ge'ilah is an expression of purging of something that had been absorbed by something else. Okay. Rashi now gets into the etymology, into the language but I think we're fine. We get the idea. The point is that God says, part of the blessing, if you go with me, my spirit will not reject you. I will walk among you. Here we go. What does this mean? God promises a blessing of special spiritual quality involving intimate knowledge of him. I will stro- That's one explanation. Or that's that's the preamble. And what does that mean? I will stroll with you in the Garden of Eden. Oh, I wasn't joking about the boardwalk. It's basically the boardwalk, just instead of the boardwalk, it's the botanical gardens. So right, I'm gonna stroll with you, God says, in the Garden of Eden, as if I were one of you, and you will not be terrified of me. Imagine if you got like um, a date request from God. It'll be like, whoa, that's intense, right? Maybe we've all dated people who think they're God, but that's not that's something else, right? This is actually, actually hanging out with God. That might seem intense, But we're going to hang out. You will not be terrified of me. Now, one might think that you will not fear me under such familiar circumstances. Scripture therefore says, here and be your God. In other words, I will walk among you. So we're going to have a familiarity. But still, I will be your God. You'll still have the reverence. You'll have the love and the reverence and they'll be coupled together. It's interesting how Rashi balances what we would call the chesed and gvura. So just to explain, chesed, of course... Means love or kindness, but it also means intimate, close connection. Gvura means boundaries, rejection. Chesed is welcoming. Gvura is distancing. I'm literally like pushing back my uh, rolling chair as I do both motions. So the point here is that God says we'll be close, but not too close to the point where the boundaries are blurred between God and mortal being. Right? I'll still be God. I'll still. But, you know, we'll have that familiar relationship. A very interesting dynamic. Okay, let's continue. By the way, one uh, before I continue, one might argue, as I'm going to do in a second, I'm just making it sound more tentative, that that is the key to any relationship. Having that closeness, but also having the respect. Respecting the other as an individual. Someone with their own opinion. Right? Someone that I don't have to agree with for them to be right. That's, which is very important. It's like, you're, if I agree with you, then you're right. And what if I don't? Right? So it's about respecting the other, revering the other in a sense in a relationship, in addition to the love and the closeness. Okay, both are really necessary components, chesed and Kavurah. Okay, back inside. Um, I am the Lord your God who took you out of the land of Egypt. Rashi says, it is worthwhile for you to believe me that I can do all these things. All the rewards that I promised. For indeed, I took you out of the land of Egypt and performed great miracles for you. I have a good track record, God says. If you don't believe that I can bring the rain and the produce and the blessings of peace and etc., then just look at my uh, my resume. Remember Egypt? Remember the ten plagues? Okay. And uh, God says, and I broke the pegs of your yoke. What does that mean? Rashi says the pegs, a plow- plowing plowing plow right plows a plowing yoke consists of a bar that is placed over the animal's neck and reins that are placed under its neck and threaded through two holes at, at each end of the bar. A visual probably would come in handy, but I guess we can imagine some sort of bar, right? It's a bar over the animal's neck, reins under the neck, doesn't sound comfortable, Threaded through two holes at the end of the, at, at at each end of the of the bar, this term refers to oh the term moat. Refers to a type of peg which is inserted into the two holes at the end of the yoke at the ends of the yoke. These pegs therefore jam the reins tightly through the holes, preventing the reins from coming off the ox's head and preventing the undoing of the knot. So you basically put the knot through the through the hole and then you jam a peg inside to keep the. Um, to keep the reins in place. Okay. This term, as it appears in the verse, "Make yourself reins and yoke pegs," chevel, cheville in French. In French. Okay, upright, erect in stature, due to relief from bondage. Instead of walking over bent, bent over, walking bent over like a slave, standing up straight, and that is due to the exes. Okay, let's continue inside now. He, I... I Third time third warning okay just be be forewarned knowledge is power from verse 14 it gets a bit dark when I say dark uncomfortable hard to read hard to study in fact in synagogues around the world when this torah portion sorry when this section of the Torah is read the curses the reader drops his voice like speaking at a much quieter, quicker tone because we're not proudly announcing it and look what's going to happen. And that's undertone, undertone to, you know, God forbid any of this should ever happen. But it's in Torah. And I should mention there's actually two instances of tochecha, of curses in the Torah. One in Bechukotah, in this Torah portion. The other one in, um, in, Kitavo, yeah, I believe it's the Torah portion of Kitavo in Deuteronomy. This Torah portion today, uh, this Torah portion that we're studying now, B'chuqotai, has forty-nine curses, and the one in Kitavo has ninety-eight, double. So this is this is even the shorter version, the 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 half version of the full of the full curses. This is always read two weeks or two Shabbatot, before the holiday of Shavuot. And the one in Deuteronomy, in Kitab, was read two weeks, two Shabbatot, before Rosh Hashanah. And the sages say it's to get us spiritually prepared for the holidays, both Shavuot, the holiday of the giving of the Torah, the anniversary of the giving of the Torah, and Rosh Hashanah, the new year, so we get a little uh, fire and brimstone, a little um, tough love, as it were, to get us motivated to create the changes that we need. Here we go. All of that is by way of introduction. Oh, one more introduction. Not done yet. According to Hasidic, Hasidic philosophy and Kabbalah, all the curses can be understood as blessings. Depends how you read it. This goes back to uh, chapter 26 or 27 of Tanya. As I mentioned a few several weeks ago at Kabbalah and Coffee and uh, had some conversation about that subsequently. But the, the, the highest blessings assume or ma- manifest in the form of a curse in Torah it's the same thing the highest blessings from God assume the language of a curse but if you know how to read it you can even read it as a blessing there's a story in the Talmud the Rashbi Rabbi Shum bar Yochai sent his son to some some colleagues of his to get a blessing and he comes back and he says how was it my son he says I don't know they didn't bless me they cursed me he says what did they tell you he says he says all the all the alleged curses. He's like, you just have to understand what they mean. It sounds like a curse, but it's really a blessing. Why they say it like that? So one of the answers in Kabbalah is that if you want to smuggle the highest light from above to below, you have to put it in packaging that doesn't look like it's holding light. Like I'm not suggesting this, but if you were smuggling diamonds illegally across borders, if you were, I'm not advocating this. But you probably wouldn't put it in a jeweler's box that says diamonds um, when you're trying to sneak it through, because that's not the way to get through. If you want to smuggle light into this world, it's got to be packaged in containers that don't announce the contents. On the contrary, they have to disavow the contents and say, oh, nothing to see here. This is bad stuff. This is ugly stuff. No light in here, but really contains the greatest light and the mystics explain these verses in a spiritual way, in a Kabbalistic way, as being filled with blessings. We're going to read it literally. Rashi, of course, gives us the, the literal meaning. On occasion, hopefully, I'll be able to interject, if I can remember, some of the more mystical understandings of the blessings contained therein. Yeah, Donna.
1: Right, so, you know, I looked also at the chapter 26 vis-a-vis our discussions on Sunday about... Right. Yeah, the blessings being blocked or something, right, up in a certain realm. So, but on our, if they're not revealed and we experience it not, well, maybe as we feel it's a curse, you know, how we experience it. But I mean, are we supposed to, you know, our lived experience, are we supposed to look for the silver lining? Well,
0: number one, yes. But number two, this Torah portion is even on a higher level because this is still the code. In other words, this is not yet. The way the script is described in Torah is still in theory, it's not in practice. In other words, even if Torah describes a scenario, it's only the description of a scenario. I'll give you an example. If I describe a Tesla, a color, a shape, interior, exterior, the drive, the batteries, I give you a full description vivid. Do you have a Tesla? No, it's still a description of a Tesla. Right? The, the blessings in the Torah. Are they blessings? They're a description of the blessings. The curses, are they curses? Description of the curses. But what I'm saying, sh- what I'm so, it's not, it's different than when we, ex- you're, chapter 27 is talking about when a person experiences it, how to flip, how to, how to reframe the experience. Yeah. But we're, we're pre experience here. Whereas Torah is, this, what we're about to read is how Torah describes what might be an experience. And what I'm saying is Kabbalah even flips that to say that even the description, not that the description has a silver lining, but that if you really know how to read the description, it's not describing curses. It's describing a blessing, but in an unusual way. Which means that hopefully our wish is that we should read the curses as blessings in the source and then only experience blessings as they manifest. So this is trying to nip it in the bud and go even one step before the experience. Okay, hopefully that makes sense. Let's read it inside. The bulk will be experienced as the more literal meaning, but hopefully I'll be able to throw in some deeper insights as we do this. Verse 14, the big pivot. But, whoa, what happened there? Sorry, I clicked on a a link. But if you do not listen to me, and do not perform all these commandments. And if you despise my statutes and reject my ordinances, not performing any of my commandments, thereby breaking my covenant, okay, so that's two verses already of what we're doing, what a person might do wrong, then God says, I too will do the same to you. Mida, kenegan, mida. You reject me, I'm going to act in the same way. I will order upon you shock, consumption, fever, and diseases that cause hopeless longing and depression. Wow, right out, right out the gate, right? This is uh, firing. You will sow your seed in vain, and your enemies will eat it. That your, you're going to plant in your fields for nothing. You're not going to end up enjoying it. I will set my attention against you. And you will be smitten before your enemies. Smitten means, can mean two things, I believe. Smitten means like, oh, I was smitten by him or her, right? Like um, infatuated or whatever. But smitten here means eliminated. You'll be smitten before your enemies. Your enemies will rule over you. You will flee, but no one will be pursuing you. You're going to run away from nothing. That's, that's how great the fear will be. By the way, this line is a very important line. I mean, they're all they all pack a lot of meaning, but listen to this one. You will flee, but no one will be pursuing you. That's a that's a wake up call for us. How often are we afraid of, of, of things that aren't even there? I don't mean an actual enemy, but I mean like our fears. Like, if I do this, then what's the other person gonna say? So often it's in our heads. Oh, if I become if I start studying more Torah and doing more mitzvot, then uh, the, uh, you know, people are going to think that I've gone you know, off the deep end and I'm all religious and whatever. Sometime, very often the fears are internal. Right? We're going to run away, but no one's going to be pursuing. No one's actually there. So that's something to remember. Let's not do that. Let's not live this curse. All right, Let's continue. And if during these, you know, if, this, if in this wave of negativity... You, you will not listen to me. In other words, if that doesn't kickstart like, whoops, we messed up, back with you, God. If that still doesn't work, I will add a, another seven punishments for your sins. They come in sevens. I will add another seven for your sins. I will break the pride of your strength and make your skies like iron and your land like copper. That means it's not going to rain. and Whatever does rain, it's not going to grow. Your strength will be expended in vain. Your land will not yield its produce, neither will the tree of the earth give forth its fruit. These are like the exact opposites of the blessings that we had before. And if you treat me as happenstance, that's a powerful expression also. You know what that means if you treat me as happenstance? Like if I'm not important to you, like, oh, God, eh, whatever. If you whatever me, God says, if you treat me as happenstance and you do not wish to listen to me, I will add seven punishments corresponding to your sins, another seven. I will incite the wild beasts of the field against you and they will bereave you, utterly destroy your livestock and diminish you and your roads will become desolate. And if through these you will still not be chastised to return to me and if you continue to treat me happenstance, then I too will treat you as happenstance. I will again Add seven punishments for your sins. If you don't know me or treat me like you don't know me, then God says, I'm going to treat you like I don't know you. And I will add seven punishments for your sins. I will bring upon you an army that avenges the avenging of a covenant. You, you broke my covenant. There's going to be an army and you and you will gather into your cities. I will incite the plague in your midst. I guess gather into your cities means that you'll have to like Retreat from your borders internally into, into, into collective places. And then I will incite the plague in your midst. When everyone's gathered together, then plague will break out. God forbid. There's an unspoken, ongoing chas God forbid, in, any, in all of these conversations. I hope that that's understood. And you'll be delivered into the enemy's hands when I break for you the staff of bread... And ten women will bake your bread in one oven, and they will bring back your bread by weight, and you will eat, yet not be satisfied. Ten women baking bread in one oven means there's not enough ovens or food to go around. You're going to eat and not be satisfied. And if despite this, you still do not listen to me, still treating me as happenstance, I will treat you with the fury of happenstance. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds very dramatic. (laughs) Fury of Happenstance? Man, sounds like a great band name also. You heard about Fury of Happenstance? They're playing over at the the Fox or something. (laughs) Whatever. Fury of Happenstance. Um, I would treat you with a Fury of Happenstance again. Sorry, adding again seven chastisements or punishments, curses for your sins. Oh, my gosh. You will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters you will eat. I will demolish your edifices and cut down your son idols. I w- that's, I guess, assuming that the Jewish people will have served idols. I will make your corpses fall upon the corpses of your idols and my spirit will reject you. I will lay your cities waste or to waste and make your holy places desolate and I will not partake of your pleasant fragrances. I will make the land desolate, so that it will become desolate also of your enemies who live in it. And I will scatter you among the nations. By the way, all of these things have come to pass. You look throughout Jewish history, (laughs) none of these hasn't happened, including the horrific cannibalism that we read about a few verses ago. It's, 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 in the books of, it's in the books of the Prophets. It happened. We've even had uh, classes about these, these situations. Anyway, I will scatter you among the nations. The, 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 the books of the Prophets, they tell a story about a woman who comes before the king hauling her neighbor to court. And she says to the king, you have to judge this case. What happened? said we have no food and we both decided that we're going to eat the flesh of our children I have a child and she has a child and we're both gonna split we made a pact and so day one we ate my kid and now it's the next day and she says she's backing out of the deal This woman took her neighbor to the court, to the king, to adjudicate what to do when someone backs out of a a cannibalistic deal. You with me? Not just cannibalism, but like one's own child. This is a story that happened in Israel. This is a story when there was a severe drought in the land at some point in history. It's straight up in scripture. In uh, not the five books, but in the books of the prophets. So all of these things have come to pass. Um, including, of course, the reason why I stopped here is because this is the, the most well-known, which is destruction of the land and exile, diaspora. We're literally the embodiment of it. living here is the, is the end result of that, okay? I mean, we thank God we carved ourselves out of you know, the blessings that we have, but fundamentally, we, we are in this, this space of the result of, this, uh, of these curses. And I'll scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you. Your land will be desolate, and your cities will be laid waste. Verse 34. Then the land will be appeased regarding its sabbaticals. What that means is, and we've had this before in this week's Torah portion, is that all of, this, all of the sabbatical years when the land was supposed to have rested and was worked instead, well, when you're kicked out of the land, God is saying, at that point, the land will have plenty of time to rest for all the time that it should have rested when you should have been upholding Torah and Mitzvot. During all the days that it remains desolate while you are in the land of your enemies, the land will rest and thus appease its sabbaticals. It will rest during all the days that it remains desolate, whatever it had not rested on your sabbaticals when you lived upon it. And those of you who survive, I will bring fear in their hearts, in the lands of their enemies. Similar theme to what I mentioned before. And the sound of a rustling leaf will pursue them. They're gonna jump when the wind blows, when they hear a leaf. Ah! That's how great the fear, the anxiety will be. They will flee as one flees the sword and they will fall. But there will be no pursuer. No, no one's actually there. Each man will stumble, sorry, each man will stumble over his brother. Fleeing as if from the sword, but without a pursuer. You will not be able to stand up against your enemies. You will become lost among the nations. And the land of your enemies will consume you. I mean, lost among the nations. That's happened. (laughs) Ten of the tribes are lost, according to most commentaries. There's some that say they came back, but according to most of of the commentaries and our sages and Jewish historians... 10 of the 12 tribes, lost. And the land of your enemies will consume you. And because of their iniquity, those of you who survive will rot away in the lands of your enemies. Moreover, they will rot away because of the, because of the iniquities of their fathers are still with them. Now, are they being punished for the iniquities of their fathers? Or does it mean that the iniquities of their fathers created some intergenerational iniquity, trauma, that is now being manifest in the kids, they will then confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, their betrayal that they dealt me. And that they also treated me as happenstance. As though they'll recognize, they'll confess, you know what? We, we, We did turn away from God. We did betray God. We did treat God as happenstance. As something like when you have some extra time, then maybe you'll, You know, if something, something, something happens, then maybe you'll think about God. So then I I too, God says, will treat them as happenstance. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. Hold on. I'm sorry. It's it's a pivot. We got the second pivot. We got the pivot back. It's about to get good again. Man, and you're like, this? Too little, too late. (laughs) All these curses, all these uh, punishments. You gotta be kidding me. Okay, again, not, not easy to read, extremely painful to read. Certainly, if you jump into the commentaries, like Rashi, the literal commentary is very painful to read. Um, but there is a bit of a pivot that, that happens that we need to pay attention to in 40. They will then, then they will confess. They will, they will then confess their iniquity. That's already the, the stirrings of Teshuvah, the stirrings of coming back. They'll recognize the problem even though it's a problem through the punishment but they'll start realizing the problem. They'll recognize the iniquity three things their iniquity the iniquity of their fathers sorry more than three their betrayal and that they treated me as happenstance but all this will be confessed and other words, they'll There'll be a slow recognition amongst the Jewish people. Like, oh, wait a second. Look what we did. We lost the plot. God says, then I too, verse 41. Here the pivot picks up steam. Then I too will treat them as happenstance. Which typically in this context is a negative connotation. But here it's starting to get positive, And bring them back while in the land of their enemies. Maybe first casually, and then it's going to pick up steam. God says, like, okay, I'll... Oh, hey, haven't seen you in a little while. How's it going? Like, just throw a little bit of a bone, as it were, to that relationship. If then their clogged hearts become humbled... Sorry. If then their clogged heart becomes humbled... So they're going to get inspired by the pain. Then I'll start at least acknowledging when they start acknowledging, and then when they see me acknowledging, then maybe their hearts, their clogged heart, will become humbled. And if that happens, then their sufferings will gain appeasement for their iniquity. Which means, which means, my, certainly we could see Rashi on this, but what I, what I believe it means is that all the pain and suffering of the Jewish exile and, and all of the trauma, that will create kind of like a cleansing for the iniquity. Now remember my covenant with Jacob, God says, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham I will remember. God made a covenant with each of the patriarchs, and I will, and I will remember the land. In other words, I'm going to remember the covenant. Oh, we we talked about this when we uh, studied the book of Genesis. This was big, gracious. I I mentioned this, like, I don't know, almost every week. The covenant in Torah is always, God's covenant is always two things. The land and the people. Jewish people and the Jewish land of Israel. So, God says here, uh, once the tshuva, once the Jewish people are humbled and come back to God, God says, I'm going to remember the covenant. And the covenant includes the Jewish people's security and survival, as well as the land. For the land, verse 43, for the land will be bereft of them, appeasing its sabbaticals when it had been desolate of them, and they will gain appeasement for their iniquity. So it's going to kind of, you know, fix it. This was all in retribution for their having despised my ordinances and in retribution for their having rejected my statutes. But despite all this, while they are in the land of their enemies, I will not despise them, nor will I reject them to annihilate them, thereby breaking my covenant that is with them. For I am the Lord their God. Look at that. No matter how bad it gets, God says, they're not going to be totally destroyed. I mean, can't we say that about our history? Six million down, and yet we survived. Right? And, and, and that's just the latest. Example of this. Despite all this, just re, re, kind of reiterating verse 44. Despite all this, they're not going to be annihilated because that would be break my covenant for I am the Lord their God. I am the Lord their God means that even in the pain, even in the pain on both sides, I'm still their God. I will remember for them the covenant made with the ancestors whom I took out of the land of Egypt before the eyes of the nations to be a God To them, I am the Lord. Okay, and now we summarize. These are the statutes, the ordinances, and the laws that the Lord gave between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. Moses being the faithful um, medium through which God's word was delivered to the Jewish people. Okay. That concludes the, th- the reading number three insight. Yes, Troy.
1: Okay, I have a, a, a creepy thought here. Yes. I, well, it's. Anyway, is this sometimes uh, the section that people use to blame, like some Jews and some non Jews, that blame the Jews for their own trauma? That you brought it on yourself?
0: I don't know. I think this has been used in another nefarious way to basically claim that the Jewish people are no longer God's chosen people and the covenant is broken and that's why you the exile and the suffering. But in truth, what we just read says the opposite, which the punchline is the opposite. It's that despite all this, I'm still your God. Despite all this, you're still my people. Despite all this, etc., the truth is, if you think about it, it even makes sense. If God was really done with us, then what would be the need to punish? If you're really done, then you just cut ties and you're done. You only continue to like if you still feel something, right? It, it only, it, that only happens if you're still hurting, if it's still, if you're still connected. Okay, if you're disconnected, you're disconnected. So in truth, God never disconnects. It's, it's, it's extremely painful to read all of this. You know, the blessings were how many? Thirteen verses? And, and the curses? The rebuke? The tochecha? The, if you don't, then this might happen. How many verses? I'll go back inside, sharing my screen here.
1: Plus times seven a few times.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, 46 or 45, I don't know. Four minus 13 whatever 30 40 verses not not 40 verses um, 30 plus verses that talk about the negative so yeah it's um, it's not fun but do people blame their own suffering on the Jews because of this I don't know it seems to be clearly targeting the Jewish people for the Jewish people not follow not keeping up their end of the deal but I think it was used to to, them, to, to claim that the Jewish people are done Okay, but I hear that. First of all, it's not true. Second of all, it's not even here, right? Verse 44, despite all this, I will not despise them, nor will I reject them to annihilate them, thereby breaking my covenant. I'm not going to do that. I won't break my covenant. I will remember for them the covenant, right? To be a God to them. I am the Lord. So here it says the exact opposite of what the claim was. I don't have to get into details of the claim, but historically the claim was that after the temples were destroyed and the Jews were exiled, that's a sign that God has done. And according to the Torah, all of this has been predicted and it's a painful chapter in our history. Very painful that we're still dealing with. And, um, but, it, it, but it's not over. In fact, it's happening because it's not over. Anyway,
1: Rabbi, yeah. um, does next year in Jerusalem refer
0: to Mashiach or Absolute.
1: classic Aliyah to Israel?
0: No, 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 no. Mashiach. no, Mashiach, Mashiach, 100%. I mean, I can't tell you what an individual means when they say it now in 2022. Right. I have no idea. But I'll tell you, even if you're in Israel, you should say next, even if you're in Jerusalem, you should say next year in Jerusalem. Why? Because you don't mean Jerusalem, you mean... Jerusalem, like with a temple and, and the full world peace, all that stuff, which is what we're really asking for. Um, great question, though, and great, uh, you know, very important to clarify that. Um, w- did Zionists believe that that was the one and the same? I-, I can't tell you that some Zionists didn't believe that. You know, that going back to Israel was Mashiach. But, I don't know, I don't, not to discount Israel, God forbid. It's it's, a, it's incredible, but Mashiach is something else. We still need Mashiach. The, the world is not where it needs to be. Mashiach is still missing, and that should be clear and obvious. Um, you can have both can be true. You know, we have Israel, we have a, a state, Jews back in the Holy Land. That's great. Mashiach still missing. All right, back.
1: Quick question. Yeah. I answered like this at Kabbalah Coffee too. So can you just explain why it's not disrespectful to say God forbid?
0: And, cause I yeah 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 yeah. Well, there's really it really touches on another question, right? Which is, isn't it disrespectful? Like I'll I'll take your question, you know, and 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 just maybe say it in different words. Isn't it disrespectful to pray for a blessing? Because if God is creating a circumstance that's a certain way, isn't it considered to be uh, presumptuous to say, well, I think it should be different? Like somebody's, God forbid, not, not well, physically well, and we say, God, um, may, uh, I want you to heal this person. <laughs> who are you? God is clearly demonstrating what he wants. So who who are we to, 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 to differ, to say, I disagree with you, God? That that's, uh, sounds like chutzpah. And yet, Prayer is like one of the mainstays of our faith. And Abraham did it, and Moses did it, and everyone did it, and we do it today, and we have a siddur, and we ask for healing, and we ask for blessings of, of, of uh, you know, for financial blessings and other blessings across the board. We ask, even if it's currently not like that, God forbid. And it's not presumptuous, it's not chutzpah to say that. On the contrary, it's what God wants. God wants us. To have a sense of what it is that we need and want, and and be bold enough to ask for it, and sometimes even demand it, right? That's how that's how the system works. So when we say God forbid, what we're saying is, God, this may be happening, but God forbid that we're going to accept it. God forbid that we're going to enjoy it. God forbid that we're going to say this is great. God forbid. How does that jive with uh, chapter twenty-seven of Tanya? Okay, again, it's all it's all nuances. We can have both. We can reject what is on the ground and yet know also that on some level it's there's a higher plan. There's a blessing somewhere, right? Does that mean that we then experience it as a blessing? Maybe in that case. Then the conversation doesn't begin because the person is... There's a story. I believe it's a story... Maybe with Reb Zosha, maybe not. This fellow asks, goes to his Rebbe, the Maghreb is rich. Not all the names am I getting correct, but the, the, con- the concept is, the story, the message is for sure correct. So this chassid goes to his Rebbe, and he says, Rebbe, you know, I need help with this follow- the following teaching. It says that, um, you know, just as a person has to thank God for the good, a person has to thank God for the bad also. It's coming from God, you have to thank God for the bad also. I can't can't wrap my head around that. I don't, like, Talmud says it, it's in Jewish law, which is why when a person passes, when a loved one passes away, the first response that we're supposed to say is, Baruch Dayan Ha'emes. Blessed is the true judge. We say a bracha. We don't say Hashem's name, but we say Baruch Dayan HaEmes. Blessed is the true judge. We say a blessing for what? For some for a passing. You say a bracha. You say a blessing for the bad, like you do for the good. So this, but this, but this person was struggling. How how, how do you? So the the Rebbe said, go to I think it was Reb or someone. Another one of his great students that were rabbis themselves he says go to this this great individual and he'll explain it to you he goes to this guy he was before he was a great rabbi either way and he knocks on the house he sees the house the hut is falling down there's a lot of these stories right falling down huts in old chassidic villages the hut's falling down there's no furniture nothing around and um, he comes in he, the, the, the fellow invites him in, he, he comes in, He offers him something, maybe a tiny crumb of bread and a little water to drink. And this guy's happy. He's happy. And the, the, the guest is amazed. Here's a guy that has nothing, living in abject poverty, nothing. And he's happy. Like he doesn't have a care in the world. So he says to him, at some point, uh, the host says to the guest, tell me why are you here. Why, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm glad that you're here, but why did you, you visit? Why did you come over? He says, because I went to the Rebbe, to the Maggid, and I asked him a question, how one could, you know, thank God or bless God for the bad like one does for the good. And he told me to come to you. So a very puzzled look fell on this, on the host's face. And he said, that's very strange. I don't know why he sent you to me. I've never had anything bad occur to me in my life. And that was the answer. That was the answer. That's the highest level. Where a person doesn't even perceive it as negative. Now, you could say, I'm not saying you, one could say, well, that's delusional. Okay, I hear that. Or it's the product of an incredible perspective on life and the universe and God and blessings and how things work and spirituality and everything, which is not necessarily expected from us. It's really not on that high level. It's... Something that we can learn about and maybe aspire to in moments that it can help us. But to live like that, I don't think it's demanded from us or expected from us. But this story, I think, is very powerful. The guy says, with honesty, he's not, he's not like playing with the guy. He's honestly saying, strange, I've never had, a, anything, I never had a bad day in my life. Never had anything bad happen. Strange that he would send you to me to figure out how to deal with bad. That's, that's an incredible place to be in. Um, anyway, today's reading is painful, especially if you read it like we read it, which is literally. The mystics talk about, as I mentioned before, higher levels of understanding. These are blessings in a weird package. Weird. In a, in a, in a unique package. Um, one insight that comes to mind is about the bread it says 10 women will bake bread in one oven. And it's, on a simple level, it's, it's expressing the poverty. Poverty. No one will have their own oven. they gonna have to share an oven and share a loaf and it's not going to be enough to feed any of the families. You know, 10 families in one oven. It's, it's not enough food. Um, but Kabbalah and Chassidah says, no, it means something else. 10 women refer to the 10 powers of the soul. Right? Soul is feminine. 10 women bake it's a reference to the ten powers of the soul. The ten powers of the soul. And they're going to be baked in one oven. In the oven of oneness in a divine space. That means the blessing is that instead of living lives that are scattered, my head's here and my heart's there and my actions are in a third place, which happens, right? Our head, our ideals could be in one place. We have emotions that are in a second place. And what we do every day is, might be in a third place and there's no alignment. We're living disjointed lives. It's like an X-ray right, of, of, a, of a human being and imagine, God forbid, the spine is going this way and that way and this way and that Zigzag. The doctor would say, Gewalt, we've got to do something. You can't live like that. Physically, it's, it's, it's dangerous. Spiritually. Not even spiritually. Physically but not spine-wise but it's also not good to live like that. Your head's here, your heart's there, and your actions are somewhere else. Ten powers in one oven means... Sorry. Ten women baking bread in one oven means that we live life, lives of alignment. Our head is in the same place as our heart, which is in the same place of our actions. We know what our ideals are. We know what our values are. We feel excited about those values, And we're living and implementing those values. We know the value of inspiring Jews to Judaism. But not only do we know the value, we're excited about it. Not only that, we're going to knock on doors on the hotels. It's the idea that hits the heart, that hits the legs and the hands to actually do the work, living a life of alignment. Very special. So what's the point? The point is, it's a blessing. Greatest blessing. May we all be blessed living lives that are aligned. What could be better than that? That's if you read it according to Kabbalah. You read it like we read it. (laughs) Like when I say we read it. Like this? It sounds terrible. So which is true? Depends how you read it. You know those pictures that it could look like a young woman or an old woman? Depending if you turn it maybe upside down or if you look at it one way or the other way. That's That's what life is it sounds like now i'm saying there's nothing as object nothing there's no such thing as objective negativity or pain it's hard for me to say that cuz i don't think any of us are on that level where we can always see that but could this guy in that story could he experience things as only good sounds like it sounds like he got himself to that place so is it possible potentially are we going to get there i don't know but there's certainly another way to read this story i'll end with this Tomorrow, by the way, my homework is to read you the story from the Talmud of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai and his son that I mentioned before. He sent his son to get blessed. He comes back and he's like, I just got cursed at. And his father says, what did they say? So I says, no, you just don't know how to hear it. Let me explain the blessings. Please, God. I've done it before, but I will uh, we'll start tomorrow's session of DPP with that story just to give a sense of the framing and the reframing. Um, I cut myself off. I wanted to say one more thing. One more thing was about reframing and stories, blessings and curses. Oh, last story before we close out today. This is not this week's Torah portion, but the one in Deuteronomy right before Rosh Hashanah. The story goes, the Tzemach tzedek. Well, the, the young man who would later become the Tzemach tzedek, the third Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Lubavitch. This is back in the 1800s. So he, when he was a young boy, um, he was very close with his grandfather. And one, uh, one year, his grandfather, and his grandfather, oh, sorry, who was his grandfather? The Alta Rebbe, the founder of Chabad. Right, So the rabbi, then, and then the tzaddik was the third generation, grandson He was the third rabbi. So his grandfather used to read the Torah in the synagogue. Well, one year, his grandfather was out of town, so someone else read, and this was the Torah portion of Kitavo, where the 98 curses are. This child got so sick, physically ill, from listening, from hearing the curses, that he got he was like 10, 11, 12. Somewhere in that age, that he became literally bedridden for a few weeks, to the point that when it came time for Yom Kippur, remember this is a week or two before Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur is ten days after Rosh Hashanah. So this is a matter of a few weeks. He was still not fully re- recovered, and they weren't sure if this kid—I think it was almost permanent, if he could even fast or try to fast on Yom Kippur. That's health-wise, he was so shaky. They asked him, "Like, what happened?" He says, I, I heard the curses. They, they, they hit me really hard. He says, but they said, people asked him, but you, you heard every year. You know what his answer was? Was it? I'm trying to see if maybe I messed up who, who was the, the, the character of the story. It was either the son of the Al or the grandson. It might have been his son. It might have been his son. And anyway, then he said either when father or grandfather reads one doesn't hear any curses. That's the punchline. I may be messing up the generations here but the punchline is the same. When the when, when the tur reads you don't hear any curses. Through the lens of a tzaddik there's a different framing. We'll start off tomorrow with a story from the Talmud that's a beautiful story. Stay tuned for that. Alright, thank you for joining me today. I know it was a bit of a heavy topic, but it's uh, part of Torah and it's our preparation, one of the preparations for the holiday of Shavuot. All right. Oh, by the way, stay tuned for more in the coming days about the program for Shavuot night, learning, as well as Shavuot day, party, dairy, uh, brunch, and ice cream party. And Ten Ten Commandments reading. So stay tuned for that in the next day or two. More information will be revealed. And uh, looking forward to celebrating together. Yes. Yes. You mentioned
1: the twenty-sixth maybe for the barbecue. I just wanted to say in between, you know, I got a gig on that So i oh. just hoping that you didn't off. Well,
0: that's the working date. I'm still waiting yeah. on design and that stuff. Let me look at it. Is it right. the whole day that you're out? Or that evening? I
1: have to be at the theater at five PM. Uh, yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. Let me let me look at it. If if I can't, you know, if if that has to be then You know, we'll just have to figure out something else, you know, to whatever. But um, I'll I'll take a look at that. Thanks for letting me know. Okay. All right. Joy and Donna and Sarah and Olia, great to see you as always. Have a wonderful day. Don't forget tonight, for those of you attending the Tuesday night Zoom JLI course, Beyond Right, that is happening tonight at 8 p.m. It's going to be an amazing class. All right. Hope to see you then or Thursday. Take care, everybody. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Yes. Thank you. Hey, pleasure. Pleasure. Great to see you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at intownjewishacademy.org and on YouTube at Intown Jewish Academy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me, and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day.